Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. you movie fans out there. Thanks so much for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. I'm your host, Betty Jo Tucker, speaking to you during this last week of April 2011. Our co-host Jazz Shaw and producer Nikki Starr are also here to help with the show, and we're all very excited because our guest today is... John Carroll Lynch. Now, I've been a big fan of John's ever since seeing him in Fargo, where he portrayed Marge Gunderson's Simple Husband Norm back in 1996. But since then, he's played many other interesting and diverse roles in such movies as Zodiac, Gran Torino, Shutter Island, and Paul, as well as in TV shows like The Drew Carey Show and Carnival. And John can currently be seen in TV's Body of Proof, which is rapidly becoming one of my favorite TV shows. And his upcoming movie, Crazy Stupid Love, is scheduled for release in July. Welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, John. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Well, it's great to have you with us. And as I mentioned before the show went on, we have lots of questions for you because you've got uh, quite a resume. But first, let's see if everything is set in our chat room. Now, uh, Nikki has opened the chat room, Jazz, but I think uh, she uh, has to remain muted today. So uh, could you check, Jazz, and see if all systems are go uh, for our chatters? Oh, I was just looking in, and there's already several dozen guests that have filed in, and we're all set, yes. Excellent, and I want to thank the people who signed up to chat as well as our other listeners, of course. We really appreciate them. And as usual, Chaz, we also appreciate you for being here to co-host, so please say hi to John. Well, uh, we were just doing that before the the show, but John, welcome. Uh, It is kind of exciting. I also... uh, was a was a fan going back to the Fargo days, and it's it's funny that uh, Betty Joe was just mentioning some of your resume because it was only last week my wife and I rented Zodiac and watched it again without even realizing that you were going to be on the show this week. So it's just sort of a coincidence. Yeah, it's a nice <laughs> it is, it's, and it's always nice he was, that you, I think, a, you invite sociopaths into your home before you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, and that you were the prime suspect in that. And and John, yeah. you know I am a big Fargo fanatic, and but I don't want to be selfish Thank about you. it because I already talked with you about Fargo right after it was released. So I'm going yeah. to uh, just suck it up here and give Jazz the floor <laughs> to ask you about that Great. terrific Perfect. movie. You're on Jazz. Well, the, the, we have people that weren't around the first time you spoke to John and, and may have missed it. So just really briefly to catch up with your history as we before we jump into the present-day stuff, um, h- how did you initially get involved in uh, Fargo? How, how did that come about where you wound up uh, getting a role in that film? Uh, Fargo came to me in a really amazing way, frankly. Um, I had been working at uh, the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis as an actor for a, a good amount of years, and I decided to go to New York because I had felt like I'd hit a ceiling there. So 
I went to New York and uh, was there only briefly when I was offered a terrific season at the Guthrie. So I came back, uh, uh, and uh, while I was there, I had a, a friend of mine came into the dressing room and said, uh, and I read this script, and you are perfect for this part. you got to get them to see you. So uh, I went to the agents there in town and talked them into uh, introducing me to the casting director, the local casting director, who was out of Chicago. And then I met the national casting director, who was John Lyons, the Cohen's casting director. And then I met uh, the Cohen's. So it was a a three-audition process. I had uh, mutual friends with Joel and Ethan uh, because a woman I worked with at the Guthrie, Isabel Monk, was, uh, uh, when she lived in New York, was um, Holly Hunter and Frances McDormand's roommate, as well as going to Yale. So uh, when, when I got home... Uh, from the uh, audition, we got a call from her telling me I got the part before that was officially offered to me. Uh, That's quite the circle of friends. Quite a relief, I'll tell you that. I I can imagine. You don't want to wait for Uh, a call like that. You you mentioned uh, briefly, that's a great uh, way to lead into the next question that I did have for you. Uh, Working with the Cohen brothers, they burst onto the scene, it seems like, at one point, and then Every time they do anything, it causes controversy. Awards come flowing in. People start screaming. They're, they've been, uh, they, they've really just racked up an amazing career. What were your impressions, uh, you know, working with them firsthand? Well, um, you know, even when I worked with them, and of course they've done brilliant films their entire careers, but they had lived with, you know, they had, uh, um, they were already in a mastery of the work that was. Uh, Quite frankly, so they are. Uh, uh, they have all their fights in the room. You know, they they've already had all the fights they're going to have. So when they're on the set, they're already finished with the work between them. So they have this kind of great shorthand. It's almost like a mind meld when they work with you. And uh, um, and it was a really fun time to work with them. And and I thought all sets would work so smoothly. You know, because it was really my first big speaking part, and I just thought, well, all movies are going to be like this one, where you know it's all uh, really good uh, <laughs> people who who all work together, go in the same direction. And little did I know, it was uh, it's a little more like herding cats. <laughs> well, I when I talked with you, uh, John, we you were yeah. talking about how the how there's no. Uh, if I remember right, there's there's no improvisation um, when you work with the Coens. They they know exactly what they want. And um, do, do I remember that correctly? I, I think that you do to a degree. That, you know, I didn't want to. You know, it wasn't that they weren't open to suggestion or didn't listen to ideas. They did, but uh, I didn't want to change a word of that script. Uh, I, I thought it was quite perfect and. Uh, and needless to say, I, I, I mean, as a as a, a new film actor, I was really more there to just shut up and do what I was told, which uh, I found is a much better way of learning things than uh, than I than keeping your mouth yapping all the time, which is which has been a problem in my work before. So when I when I got there, I just really wanted to do uh, do what I was asked to do. And one of the interesting things was Fran and I went out for lunch beforehand, and we talked about the characters and we talked relationship and how they got to know each other and uh, we had come up with a bunch of stuff that we walked onto the set with and started working on with with them and they were like oh no 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 he doesn't care about her work at all um, he, he really doesn't 
And uh, I was like, oh, well, all right then. Uh, we can do that. And, uh, Just follow orders. Uh, and, when I, and when I see the movie, uh, I realize how right they are. Because uh, what it provides for the character of, of Marge is a safe haven where she can come home after seeing a foot in a wood chipper and know that she's not going to have to talk about it. She's not going to have uh-huh. to relive it. She's just going to come home and talk about duck stamps. And, uh, and I think that's part of what makes the movies feeling between them one of safety, which, uh, which makes a whole different flavor for the movie. You know, without uh, just being willing to try things, you lose out on the opportunity to learn things. And uh, that's been a really fun part of getting to learn how to make movies is that. Oh, I imagine, I imagine so. And and that that role was just such a great way for you to enter into the movie world because it was yes. memorable yes. as the entire the entire movie was. But when we had Beth Littleford on our show, she was uh, uh, what a delight! What a delight she was, and she spoke so highly of you because the two of you. Um, are working together or have, I guess it's in post-production or ready to go now, Crazy Stupid Love. And the reason I thought about that right now is because we were talking about improvisation. And one of the things she mentioned, Jazz, if you'll you'll recall, that um, that you, John, (laughs) she said that you are really, really good at improvisation. So I don't know the directors of Crazy Stupid Love was – was improvisation quite a bit um, involved in in the making of Crazy Stupid Love? Well, the the people who made Crazy Stupid Love are uh, 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 oh god John uh, John, um, John, uh, John and Glenn. Uh, uh, <laughs> they uh, they made they wrote uh, um, Bad Santa and they wrote um, uh, and directed I Love You Philip Morris and they're just yeah. tremendous. Talented people, uh, John Requois and Glenn Ficarra, and um, and they're very confident. You know, they're they're confident that the words that they wrote are good. And um, what what I find to be helpful in work like that is to play with what's what's there and uh, and see what comes up. And sometimes it is good to um, extend the scene with uh, improvisation. They were also in the midst of that film. Um, uh, Steve Carell had a had a, a tendency to make fun of John and Glenn right after the take was over, uh, somehow, and uh, uh, and so I joined in on that, and that was a lot, that was a lot of fun. But they were great. I mean, we had a we had a day where uh, it was uh, myself, and it was a good amount of the cast actually, uh, Kevin Bacon and Julianne Moore and uh, Emma. Uh, Stone and um, oh, geez, everybody was there. Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell, and and uh, at one point, it's like a it's like a kindergarten fight, um, you know. And it was really hard to keep a straight face. We had a delightful time. I I hope the audience is as tickled as we were about it. Working with Beth, well, too, what a cast! She's very good. Yeah, it's an amazing cast. It really is. It's an amazing and what, cast. And what a, character? What character do you play? What type of character in in that movie? Um, the, the character I play. Um, the story is about um, uh, Steve Carell and Julianne Moore's marriage falls apart, and uh-huh. um, and uh, uh, the character I play is 
his best friend, who uh, his wife, Beth Lilliford, uh, makes him choose um, the wife in the divorce. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a very poignant, sad breakup scene uh, between the two friends uh, where I give him some cologne. And uh, there's uh, and uh, he uh, another connection to that is the uh, their children have been babysat by my daughter, uh, mine and Beth's daughter, who's played by a lovely, lovely young actress. She's so terrific, and of course I'm losing her name at the moment because I'm crazily insane. Annalie Tipton, and she's oh, yeah. really terrific. She's a really terrific young actor, and it was really fun to work with her as well. I, I don't have a lot of bad stories about work, you know, because I just love doing it. So I never, I never really walk away from, from sets thinking, oh, I had a terrible time today. It just never happens to me. I, I, I really love the work. All right, that comes through loud and clear. And you've been in, um, of course, we, we do want to talk about some of your TV work, but this is Movie Addict Headquarters. So first, you've made over 20 over 40 films, and I think I've seen all of them, <laughs> John, because wow. I am a big, yeah, I am a big fan. I, I, and every time, every time I, we I'm see sorry, you, my I'm husband and I, so. <laughs> yeah, we see we see your name in the credits. We go, you know, or we hear that you're going to be in a movie. Oh, John Carroll Lynch is going to be in that movie. So we we have to be there. We're first in line at the box office. But of of your many uh, film roles, which have been your your favorites? Or do you have any um, any favorites? Well, you know, obviously uh, Fargo was was a delightful favorite, not only because of the experience, but the quality of the work that it turned out to be, and and also the fact that it handed me a film career. Um, uh, that right. doesn't come along very often when you get a major speaking role in a in a movie by people who really know what they're doing, and then it ends up being nominated for Academy Awards and Best Picture and all that. That's a that's a strange. I was actually uh, back in Minneapolis um, visiting my then fiance, my now wife, uh, and we went to a dinner party. And somebody said, "So, uh, how are you marketing yourself out there in L.A.?" And I said, "Well, you know, my key to my marketing strategy is be in an Oscar-nominated picture, preferably." <laughs> yeah. Yay! And that's uh, a great work, strategy. Work to your favor. Yeah, it's a really good strategy. People should try it more often. <laughs> All the other actors who, uh, who all the so people studying to be actors are now sitting. Everybody sitting there now going, "Why didn't I think of that?" Exactly. John, I have to. John, I have to give you two, uh, some of my favorites, and like I say, I think I have seen most of them, and these these may uh, surprise you, but uh, I thought. Maybe because it's just the recent recent <laughs> movie that I saw, but you were outrageously good <laughs> in Paul. That's I think still Thank playing, uh, still playing on the big screen is this uh, all this very very angry father who is just you know trying to find his his daughter who was played is it Kristen Wiig is that her name I'm Kristen sometimes Wig, I forget yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you were just we I mean. You were you were hilarious in that, and then these these other two that um, just I always I always think about, and one of them is a movie that that didn't do that well at the box office, but I liked it very very much. It was called uh, Love Happens 
with Aaron Eckhart and Jennifer Aniston, and I thought, you know, going to the extreme other other end, you gave a heart-wrenching performance as a father who reluctantly attends a grief uh, seminar after the death of his son, and, you know, you could have hammed that, that role up. That was just made, you know, to be hammed up. But you didn't do it. I mean, you were you were just right on right on target. And I I just admire you for doing that. And then in the um, uh, Things We Lost in the Fire, that well-meaning neighbor, you know, who takes uh, the drug addict played by Del Toro under his wing, and you just, I mean, you just were so real, so so genuine there. But you added some humor to a movie that was one of the most intense movies that I have ever seen. In fact, I almost, well, I never walk out on a movie, but I almost did on that one in the withdrawal scenes that uh, Del Toro mm-hmm. did. But you you helped me get through that. You know, I know John John Carroll Lynch is in this movie. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I stay in it. So those well, are really those are some that. of. Um, in in that movie, Suzanne Beer, who won the Academy Award this year for her film, uh, for Best Foreign Language Film, um, yes. is a tremendously talented director and one that uh, uh, demands a kind of intimacy in her work that uh, that both Hallie and Benicio responded to. And working with, I'd had the good fortune of working with Hallie before, but I hadn't with uh, Benicio del Toro. And he is an actor who. Uh, who will not lie and uh, um, asks you to be there with him in the moments. You know, Alan Arkin said when he won his Academy Award recently, uh, acting is a team sport, and uh, it's right. certainly true. Uh, uh, and what he he really, uh, I learned uh, as much from Benicio Del Toro working with him as I have from any actor I've worked with. They, uh, it's ah. the, the, the need to be in that moment with that other person and not go forward is uh, is uh, until something new happens uh, was a was a real gift and uh, and interestingly enough um, in in uh, love happens uh, which I worked on uh, subsequent to that picture I was I was uh, grateful for that lesson because it allowed me to be in a it allowed me to search for moments in the in that work which were um, which were uh, much more uh, uh, Risky, uh, and um, mm-hmm. you know the movie is a tough movie. I think Love Happens because it's a it's a it's a not an easily um, categorizable movie. There are elements of a romantic comedy in it, but there are also moments of really deep and unabiding grief and sorrow. And the thing oh, about yes. grief, the play grief is is a very difficult one because uh, because. Grief is not one thing. Grief is all emotions wrapped up, it seems to me. And, um, and the experience of, of people expressing it comes out in all kinds of ways. Um, and uh, so I, I think that the, the character's inability to touch the, the, the depth of the sorrow uh, uh, was uh, clear in the writing. And I really did ask Brendan Camp, the director, how far do you want me to go? If you want me to drive all the way out to the end of the pier on this, I'm going to do that. Uh, but I'm not sure how it fits in the rest of the picture. And he was, you know, very, um, very uh, supportive of the work. And, and I'm very happy with the way it, it came out. It was edited beautifully. And, again, Aaron was a wonderful uh, acting partner uh, in it, Aaron Eckhart. 
who, interestingly enough, recently did Rabbit Hole, which was also a movie about grief, and uh, yeah. and uh, 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 did a wonderful job in that movie, and also provided uh, uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Sandra Oh with um, with the same kind of uh, stellar uh, dance that he did to me. So I'll be grateful to him as well. Well, yes, that was that was uh, uh, that was quite quite an intense film, also, and yeah. I just couldn't help wondering when you're in films that are that in, intense. What what is it like behind the scenes, for example, on things we we lost in the fire? What I mean is everybody kind of uh, I don't know sad or <laughs> or you'd be surprised you just go at how, back? Much, how much you'd be surprised at how much humor there is. Sets that are are about those about those subjects, um, but the but when the when the bell rings, you know when the actual work is going on, um, there was there is um, uh, there's a kind of commitment and intensity to the work that that um, everybody in that uh, really did a terrific job supporting and continuing. And you know the the uh, there's a dining room scene in Things We Lost in the Fire, and I've never seen anybody shoot this way. Tom Stern uh, was the DP on the film and the camera operator mm-hmm. who had worked with Suzanne a lot, whose name is now escaping me again. I, I've lost his name, but he was terrific. And he spent because the the house was glass, uh, he spent most of his time uh, shooting the movie uh, in a black uh, hoodie with just his eye exposed. So he wouldn't create any reflection in any surface wow. in the house, and he created they created this rig that I'd never seen that allowed him to do long handheld sequences, so we could play long, that long scene at the dinner table all in one as if it were a theater piece, and it really helped the work a lot. And yeah. um, also the way in which she shot people so closely and so intimately. Literally, the first shot I saw when I came to the set. The first day, uh, Hallie was working, and the shot was of her right eye. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, everything she cut, works cuts in and, and really creates a kind of um, intimacy that the audience can't get away from the emotions in the film. And so funny to talk about that that way, because on the complete flip side was Greg Matola and Paul, where you know he, it's an homage to Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis movies, it's, and he's shooting it like that. And the frame, the the story of the movie is being told by the framing and the movement of the camera. So you have to know what the camera is doing, and play into that frame. And 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 the wonderful thing about playing with that cast and uh, playing the character of Moses is I wanted to see if I could push the frame around a little bit and try to go the exact opposite direction from things we lost in the fire, where everything was so small and intimate. To really well, that was extremely different. I, yeah. I, I hope that listeners... The people who are willing to let you go there. Exactly, and I hope listeners who haven't seen Paul yet will go see Paul, and um, since it's still playing, and people who haven't seen yeah. Things We Lost in the Fire will... will um, it's out on DVD, so be sure to take a look at that. But I, I feel like yeah. I've been monopolizing uh, your time, John, and I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Jazz if he wants to talk with you or ask you questions about um, some of the things you've done on uh, television, which have been quite remarkable, too. So, so Jazz, uh, go ahead. 
Well, you're you're always hogging the whole show, Betty Joe. Yeah, we, we do want to cover I that, but John, you, you mentioned it's something John though. Lynch. I'm going to hog the time. <laughs> but before we get before we get off this entirely, just really briefly, uh, when when you go from more uh, perhaps lighter fare and comedies, when you're doing something like things we things we lost in the fire, something that intense that just has so much darkness, I'm just curious, how much of that do you take home with you at night during the production? Does it? Does it ride home with you in the car and stick with you, or are you able to kind of take it off like a coat when you leave and just go have dinner? Um, uh, it depends on the scene. Uh, it depends on the scene and the day. The um, the character in Things We Lost in the Fire is a delightfully disconnected man. Um, he's not quite present to the grief that he's, he himself is experiencing in the loss of his friend. And... Uh, the way in which he expresses it is to try to, you know, take care of a puppy, you know, right? Uh, which is to him what Benicio is. He's a, he's a, he's the, you know, my friend has died, so I'll find a new friend. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and it's an odd slip into a totally different person. But uh, mm. but I, I I love the way in which it's written and and the disconnect that was part of the character. So in some ways, that was. Uh, Easier to walk away from. Other, other, other scenes and other moments are harder, but uh, the, uh, you know, the that particular one, uh, I so enjoyed it. Uh, I so enjoyed going to those intense places, and they're wonderful performances by a lot of people in that movie. Paula Newsom, and there's a lot of wonderful people in that. And 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 it was a great film. Uh, you you do the, the the small screen as well as the big screen. And I know well before you run into time, Betty Joe wants to get to some of that. Um, how about uh, the new uh, Body of Proof series on TV? Just just briefly, can you tell us a little bit about you, you play a detective, right? Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. you know your your role in that and uh, and in general where that go, what people can expect from that. The show is a is a procedural show, like other uh, other murder mystery shows on television. It's certainly in that genre, but it's a it's a um, it's a, a show about a medical examiner, a woman uh, played by Dana Delaney, Megan Hunt, who, who because of an accident lost the use of uh, the fine use of her hands and can no longer operate as a neurosurgeon, and basically cramps her way into forensic medicine and uh, becomes a medical examiner. The character I play is a character, uh, Bud Morris, a detective for the police, Philadelphia Police Department. And um, I, I'm not, uh, he's, he's, he is a, a delightfully, uh, a delightful curmudgeon. Uh, I, I find him really yeah. funny. I think that he's a, he's a character that uh, uh, they, they like to, uh, they like to fight these two characters. Uh, and, uh, I I found the minute I walked onto the set and started working with Dana that we liked to fight too. So um, <laughs> it's a fun dynamic. Uh, 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 it's a fun dynamic in the show that these two people are going to lock horns. It's kind of like people who like to not like each other. I don't know if you've ever had relationships like that, but they like to give each other the business and. Uh, and uh, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun for the audience to watch. The, the character's often wrong. He's very impulsive, uh, and and yet at the end of the day, uh, uh, I think that the I think that the audience wants to root for them. The the difficulty with these shows is they can become just a, a group of super friends that have various abilities that then they 
solve a crime together and there's no conflict. And uh, I hope we continue to uh, have the opportunity to do the show and also to continue to work on uh, having conflict drive the, the, the solving of the mystery as opposed to the ball being handed off seamlessly from one uh, from one detective to the medical examiner back to the detective. It's it's uh, more interesting, I think, for the audience if we can, can continue to strive for human conflict inside these um, these murder mysteries. Now, one thing I would like really to, to find out from, from actors is uh, you, you are yet another person who uh, has an extensive body of work. You've done both the big screen and the small screen. Having done both. Do you have a preference between the two, and, and, and which do you find more challenging? I know it's a, it's a different process in you know how mm. the production goes about, but from the actor's mm. perspective, is one better than the other to you, and is one more challenging? Well, I can tell you that the three mediums that I've worked in extensively have been theater, film, and television. And theater is, is a medium in which you can, you and the director and the other ensemble members can craft a play that has an arc that you get to play with and then settle into and live, and that's an exciting process. Films are about searching for individual moments, moments of real truth and that can be captured by the camera, and then the director can use or not use based on their uh, their need to tell whatever story they're going to be using. And so, you're mm-hmm. once you've laid it out, uh, once you've laid out these moments and given the, uh, the various choices that can be found in each of these moments that you have time for, obviously, there then uh, you can sometimes be surprised at who your character is at the end because it's really up to the director to choose these individual moments. That's why it's so exciting when actors can really say, I'm not going to do it that way because if, you, if I do it that way, then that'll be the way it is in the film, and I need to find something else to do here because I don't want that to be the last choice. That's the reason why those things are kind of life and death moments for the character, and they yeah. and they um, and they can you, you you need to be careful and you need to know that you're in safe hands with the director and and also are willing to collaborate. And with television, the great part about television is that you get to know a character over time, and you get to create a character over time. And so, in some ways, the character is somehow created. Backwards. Um, there was a wonderful inside the actor's studio with uh, with um, uh, Stockard Channing, and she talked about her experience on The West Wing, where she was doing her fourth or fifth episode before she discovered she had three daughters. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's the wonderful thing about television is that um, you can discover something about your character that then can inform you for the rest of the time. And the wonderful part about that is is that you go, oh, great, now I have another piece of this puzzle. But you have to leave yourself open because the writer has to have room to tell story after story after story after story. You do have to know a lot about your character going into the arc of any season, but you do want to leave room for discovery, which is which is the exciting part about about playing a, t- a television character over time. As an exa- a perfect example for me is Dennis France, who was brilliant on NYPD Blue. And by the end of NYPD Blue, the, you could literally have made the, the, the show without cutting back to Sipowitz because you knew how Sipowitz felt about everything. 
Great. Uh, and that's the yeah. wonderful thing about knowing a character over time. It's exciting for an audience. Well, it's exciting for an actor. Well, John, speaking of a, of a character on, on TV, I I just want to know how you prepared for that scary character that you played in Carnival, which I was so upset when that that series got canceled. And that's one of my favorite characters that you played. And how did you yeah. get into that that character? Well, um, I uh, the the character was intended to be on a two or three shows, um, and um, and Daniel Knopf, the creator of the show, just fell in love with where the character was headed. Uh, you know, um, that was such a supernatural show that that I, uh, I for me I thought of it in supernatural terms, and he was kind of a genie, you know, the character um, of Violent Stroud. Um, uh, Clancy Brown's character literally releases him from his jail, and and he is just the angel of death, you know. But the great part yes. of the surprising was he was he was he had absolutely no uh, no compunction with he was perfectly well adjusted assassin. He didn't lose any sleep over it. He didn't. No know, way. He didn't, no, he was perfectly himself. There's a line uh, again. I go back to other people's work, but. Don Cheadle has a wonderful line in uh, uh, in uh, Devil in a Blue Dress when uh, uh, Denzel Washington comes back and he's asked him to watch this character for a while and this guy's dead. And um, and Denzel Washington's character says, what happened? And Don's character of Mouse says, well, if he didn't want him dead, why'd you leave him with me? And uh, that was kind of the way Varlon Stroud was. It's like, look, somebody's going to die here. Uh, whenever he shows up, somebody's going to die. For, for all of our and, listeners, uh, by the way, if you didn't get to catch Carnival when it was on uh, for you Netflix users, the entire series is available. I was the, the most rabid Carnival fan ever. It was one of the better series yeah. ever done. It was so fun and, and just, just creepy, you know. And uh, yeah, please, if, if you haven't seen it, order it. it. Yeah, it's, it's worth seeing. <laughs> It's it absolutely is. I loved it. I, I um, challenge you, Jazz. I think I was the most avid. <laughs> possibly. So, but before we run out of time, John, of um, here. A, a lot of uh, Betty Jo's listeners and a lot of the questions and comments that we do get are from people who are either uh, in starting out in the industry or younger folks who are looking to get into it. Uh, could you just say a couple words to, to the new folks that are looking to come up or maybe get started in terms of Perhaps a couple actors, directors that you look up to, who you found uh, inspiring as you were coming up, and may- maybe a tidbit of advice and anything you've learned that you could pass on to people getting into the industry. Well, the uh, you know the the way in which the business when you, when one starts a, a job and when one starts a, like a career and is fortunate enough to actually work in it, by the time you get to the place where everybody asks you this question. All of the things that happen to you no longer exist because, um, oh, God. because you, have, you know. I mean, it's like my look. My my elementary school is closed. My high school is closed. You know, uh, you know. It's just the way life is. Things just uh, change. Um, if I were getting into the industry today, I would uh, start um, getting on stage as quickly as I could, as I did when I was a kid. Anything that gets you time in in, in the work of acting. Is something you should do, you know, whatever whatever it is. Somebody asked me this question recently, and I said, try to work with people who are a lot better than you, um, ah. as often as you can. 
uh, be the slow kid uh, trying to catch up because um, you're going to eventually get better because you're going to have to. <laughs> and uh, finally, there was some wonderful advice in a beautiful documentary called Character by a man named Drago Simonia who, who had uh, a wonderful uh, interviews with, uh, with um, Harry Dean Stanton, Sidney Pollack, uh, Mark Rydell, um, Charles Grodin, and uh, Peter Falk, and they were interviewed by Dabney Coleman. My gosh. And uh, Mark Rydell met Lee J. Cobb at one point uh, early on in his career, and Lee J. Cobb just said, keep working on your craft. No matter what, just keep working on your craft. And then when you get your opportunity, be excellent. And uh, that's <laughs> the best advice I've ever heard, you know. Make sure that when that, is, when that door cracks open just a little bit, that they're going to go, wow, I'm really glad I opened it. That is great advice. And um, I, if if we have any wannabe actors listening, be sure to follow it because that's that's really, really good advice, John. Now, we, we have a, a sort of an, a creative question here that we ask all of our all of our uh, favorite actors. And it's probably because I've been watching – Turner Classic movies so much lately, and just loving some of the classic films that I've been been seeing. So, if you could play the lead role in a remake of a classic film, which one would you choose? It's it's so funny that uh, I never I never think of myself in the lead role. I always think of myself in some other part. Uh, in in you know I always. I mean, I tell you, I would I would love to play anything that Carl Malden played uh, in any film. Um, uh, I would love to have done uh, the priest in on the waterfront, uh, and um, I would have loved to have done that. Uh, I, I, I all, obviously Ernest Borgnine is another guy who's I'm, I've admired, and Marty is a wonderful role, and um, and uh, those those are great great parts. Um, but you know, a person who uh, who I admire so much because he transformed so beautifully was Charles Lawton, and uh, um, yeah. uh, boy, the, I'm trying to remember this. That's not Gaslight. It's um, he plays a barrister in it, uh, and I can't. Oh, I can't remember the name of that movie now. Was that Judgment anyway, at Nuremberg? Charles Lawton. No, um, he he uh, he's defending a woman for murder in it. And I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, I want to say it's with uh, um, Marlena Dietrich. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to check that up. On, uh, but I think it's Gaslight. It might be Gaslight. I can't remember. Well, you you know uh, you you've chosen some great a uh, great actor <laughs> to want to play. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I mean, the roles of Charles Lawton and Carl and Carl Malden and Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. But I've I've been thinking about you in and I would just because you can do the the sensitive. I've I've mentioned some of the movies where you know you have these sensitive roles and you can go completely to the other extreme and play these evil scary characters. And I would just love to see you in a remake of um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Or I would I would love to see you in a movie. I don't know whether well most of our listeners aren't uh, old 
aren't young enough, I mean old enough to remember The Informer, a movie back in 1935 with uh, Victor McLaughlin, and he won an Oscar for playing this uh, this Irishman during the Irish Rebellion who was uh, – uh, just racked with guilt because he informed on his best friend uh, in order to get money to to travel to America. But it's a wonderful John oh. Ford film, and I was hoping somebody would Mr. remake McLaughlin it and they was, would uh, put he you. Was also in the Quiet Man, was he not? Yes, he was. He was in the Quiet Man. <laughs> Right. Well, you know so those so are those are some that we would love. I can't believe yeah. how fast the time has gone by. Yeah. Uh, John, you have just been such a wonderful guest today, and I I want to thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to uh, to visit with us. Will you come back and and visit with us when you have a, a uh, another project that you'd like to discuss? Can we count on that? Honored to. Thanks. That would be great, and and we're looking forward to Crazy Stupid Love in July, and um, I urge the listeners to uh, turn on the TV and watch Body of Proof. What uh, what channel is it on, and what evening? It's on ABC Tonight, as a matter of fact, uh, 10, 9, 7. Oh, good. It's on ABC Tonight, so we'll... We'll be sure to, of course. I'll be, I'll be watching it. My husband will be watching it. We, we don't want to miss any of your performances. And um, really? so, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about any of your projects or um, any only, movies that are coming up? There's a couple up? other things. One is uh, there's a couple of small movies coming out. Uh, Sympathy for Delicious, Mark Ruffalo's directorial debut, which is, which I have oh. a brief role in, but I think is a lovely picture. And also um, a movie called Hesher which will be out also soon with Natalie Portman and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, both of those oh, movies wow. are coming out. And they're, they're movie addict movies. You know, They're, they're going to be the ones you got to go out and find like a really, really nice French restaurant. You know, they're not going to be at McDonald's on the end of the corner. You're going to have to go look for them, but they're going to be worth it. Well, we will we will look for them, and and thank you so thank much you. for uh, for being here today. And we'll we'll let you go now, and um, we'll we'll hope to be seeing you in many 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 more roles on the big screen and the small screen. So bye for now. Thank you. Thanks, John. It's been a bye pleasure. Bye. Take care. Bye. What an interesting guy to interview, Jazz. What what kind of a future do you see in store for for John Carroll Lynch? Well, I mean, he just, you know, there's great acting and, you know, there's talent. You can talk about all that. But also the ability to pick good roles, to pick good projects, is a critical part of a career. And he's got a golden touch. I mean, he, I he picks he things that just turn to gold. I think he does, and he's working with uh, with uh, A-list people, and you can tell that he's thought a lot about it, and he's so versatile, so... I, I'm really happy that we were able to have him on the show today. But time is going by so fast, and it's time to wrap things up. So come back next time. We're going to have a very fun show revisiting Cloris Leachman and her manager son, George England, just in times for Mother's Day fun. But now it's time to close the show. So here is Kenny Loggins to take us out with Footloose.